You know, Prakash, I don't think we'd be very good Canadians if we didn't do at least one episode on the healthcare system. Fair enough. Anything in particular you want to know about it? Well, I mean, everyone's always touting that Canada's healthcare system is free, but is it really? I mean, doctors make a lot of money, and I get hit with a bill here and there, so that money's getting paid, and it's got to be coming from somewhere. Yeah, also a lot of people have questions about our system, so it'd be cool to learn more about it and how we can fix it, if it needs fixing. Well, then I'm glad we'll be interviewing our guest for today, Dr. Catherine Fieldbeck, who's a professor at Dalhousie University and an expert on health policy. We did make sure, though, to put her to the test with our healthcare questions. I'm so glad we can finally test a professor for once and not the other way around. So let's give our listeners what they need to know with some quick facts, some of which are thanks to Dr. Fieldbeck. Since healthcare is a provincial matter, most of these stats were found by looking at each province or territory. For example, around 40% of all public spending is on healthcare, but this number is higher in some provinces and territories and lower in others. And while how you classify healthcare systems is a hotly debated topic, here are four of the ideal healthcare models. You have the Bismarck or social insurance model, the beverage or universal tax-based model, this is the most aligned to Canada's model, and the mandated private insurance system, which is like the US system, and finally you have good old-fashioned paying out of pocket. But many would push back on these classifications since these are the ideal versions. In real life, most systems are actually a blend of these, including Canada's. And to give you an idea of how big an impact healthcare has on Canada, for 2019, Canada was projected to spend $264 billion, or just over $7,000 per person on healthcare alone, which is around 11% of Canada's GDP. And among developed nations, the Canadian government actually spends one of the highest amounts per person on healthcare, exceeding both Australia and the UK. But surprisingly, this is nearly half of what the US government spends per capita. Wait a second, wait a second. So you're saying that the US government spends more than we do, yet their citizens still cover most of the cost? That is the unfortunate truth. Transfer payments, though, on the Canadian side of things, are also mentioned in this interview. And just for a bit of background information, Canada health transfers are the payments that the federal government sends to the provinces and territories to help them pay for healthcare. So simply put, it's like the e-transfer for provinces and territories. Exactly. One last thing we wanted to address before we get started is the sound quality. Dr. Fieldback was kind enough to join us remotely from her faculty office on campus, but due to the remote connection, the audio quality is not where we'd like it to be at all times. Of course, we do our best to ensure that everything's audible, but we do ask for your patience if it's a little less than clear at times. All right, we've talked about this long enough. Let's get started. My name is Rakesh. My name is Ajay. And this is the Real Talk Roundtable. Welcome to the Real Talk Roundtable. Today with us, we have Dr. Catherine Fieldbeck. Dr. Fieldbeck, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Dr. Catherine Fieldbeck is a professor in the Department of Political Science, working in the areas of public policy and political theory at Dalhousie University. Dr. Fieldbeck is cross-appointed to the Department of Community Health and Epidemiology, the Department of International Development Studies, and the European Studies Program. She is also a senior research fellow at the Healthy Populations Institute and is on the research committee for the McKechnie Institute for Public Policy. Dr. Fieldbeck is director of the Jean Monnet Network for Health, Law, and Policy, an EU-funded network promoting research on health law and policy across Europe and North America. So, Dr. Fieldbeck, we have to be honest. We've done our research, we have watched your presentations on YouTube, we have seen your tweets, and we notice your humor is pretty tongue-in-cheek, and we love it. But your presentations are quite serious, and it does give us flashback to our university <laughs> days. Uh, so we're just curious, should we cater to your funny side or your fu serious side in this interview? 
Oh gosh, I'm I'm actually trying to save my pedantic and my ponderous side for my students in September. So <laughs> I'm in that we go with the lighter side if that's possible in documenting <laughs> systems. Okay, so we're gonna have fun today. I guess that's the goal of this podcast. All right. I'll see how much we can do with healthcare being the main topic, but we'll do our best uh, to make sure that we address the serious issues because healthcare is a serious uh, topic. So maybe we'll get started with asking you, how would you best summarize the healthcare system in Canada? All right. So the most important thing to remember about the Canadian healthcare system is that it doesn't actually exist. Uh, so Technically, there are actually 13 separate healthcare systems, um, as healthcare is by and large a provincial matter, which means that each province is pretty free to organize its healthcare as it deems fit. And in fact, interestingly, Canada has been um, uh, uh, is given as an example of the most decentralized country when it comes to healthcare. Uh, but the reason that we can talk about Canadian healthcare in general terms is that provincial healthcare across Canada exhibits relatively similar characteristics. And the reason for that is that the provinces all receive federal transfers to some degree in exchange for organizing provincial healthcare according to the Canada Health Act. So there is some motivation to stay in line, but there are quite a lot of interesting disparities between the provinces. Now, the other major characteristic of healthcare in Canada is that medically necessary services are publicly insured out of general taxation. And this is often referred to as a beverage system after William Beveridge, who was the architect of Britain's National Health Service. And so in certain respects, Canada's healthcare system is modeled after Britain's. But one interesting thing about the Canadian uh, healthcare system is that while we have a publicly insured system and while we have private insurance, we don't we don't allow, if, if I can have a Ghostbusters metaphor here, we don't allow the streams to cross. So if something is publicly assured, it cannot be privately assured. It cannot be insured privately. Um, so the only things that can be privately insured are not things that are publicly insured. And that's not true, I think, for any other country. Hmm. So they're mutually exclusive. That's right. Wow. And so... Uh, Dr. Fieldbeck, for for us to maybe understand a bit better, how would you characterize the system? What can we actually call it? Is it called the beverage system or is there another name for it? It is, the, it is an example of uh, a beverage system, which means that it is funded out of general taxation. Uh, okay. Uh, Dr. Fieldbeck, if I could maybe just take you back to one thing I heard you say earlier and one thing that I'm really not sure what it means. So I heard you say we, we have a single payer system. In a nutshell, what exactly is that? Right. Um, so healthcare services are insured and they are sure they are insured through one body in each province. Right. So the public, uh, the publicly insured services um, are all insured essentially by the state. So it is a single pair. There's one payer that pays out claims to the doctors. The That's correct. Now, this doesn't preclude having private insurance systems in any province. 
as long as in well what happens in 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 practice is that the services that are insured publicly are not insured privately so private insurance companies can come in and they can insure any insure any service they want to as long as it's not covered by the province okay no that's a that's a great explanation actually so it's pretty much the reason why that's in place is so there's no double dipping of the system that's right. Um, what I find, though, and, and what I found in general as a general consensus is that Canadians tend to think that this system is free. In fact, I think most of us pride ourselves in saying that, you know, Canadian healthcare is free. And most of the world seems to think that as well. Yet, I find myself and many people I know paying for things that otherwise I would have thought should have been free. So is the Canadian healthcare system really free? Well, yes and no. Now we know that there's no such thing as a free lunch. So it's probably more accurate to ask, well, exactly what kinds of things are free to whom and under what circumstances? And then who actually does pay? And that's the easy question with the easy answer. And of course, the answer there is, well, all of us, right? Because unlike other countries where it does get incredibly complicated, um, because public health care is financed through general taxation, um, it, the, the, uh, the financing comes out of our taxes. So that's fairly simple. Um, but in terms of when is it free, to whom is it free, and under what conditions is it free? Well, generally, Free healthcare means medically necessary services offered either in hospitals or by GPs, and again, it's uh, financed through a system of general taxation. Now, the problem is that this actually leaves a whole lot out um, because there are an awful lot of health-related goods and services. Um, that you, you might think were medically necessary, but not necessarily. Um, so the big one, and the reason that we're having this big push for a national pharmacare system, is that pharmaceuticals are generally not covered as a matter of course, unless you are inside of a hospital. Now, this causes all sorts of problems because... If you are an attending physician and you know that your patient can't afford these expensive drugs, what are you going to do? Very true. And what I'm what that begs another question of, of me, honestly, is then why is it that so many of us think that it's free? Why is that such a popular opinion? I mean, even at the political level, it's something that is touted across the board as the calling card of the Canadian healthcare system. Why is that general sentiment exist if that's really not the case? Well, well, it is the case. Um, it, is. it is a case in an uh, in a, in a lawful lot of important ways. Okay. Um, so if um, you know if you were to have a heart attack or a brain aneurysm and you fell to the floor, uh, and you were carted out and you were taken to the hospital, you know you could get a coronary bypass without paying a penny for the most part. Um, and that's 
pretty gosh darn free. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, and especially what's really interesting is, you know, if you look at all the um, price tags for services uh, in the U.S., oh, yes. uh, then, you know, yeah. you become aware of just how much we we don't have to pay for things. Um, so, you know, but there are a lot of things that we do have to pay for. It's just that, and this is why Canadians are so taken aback when somebody does hand us a bill. Mm. Um, and again, this varies province to province because every province can, you know, they can say, well, you know, in other provinces, uh, you have to pay for your drugs, but here in our province, you know, we're, we're, we're really nice. So we're going to cover your costs or they'll say, well, if you're over 65, then we'll cover your costs. Or they'll say, oh, you know, if you um, have under um, the minimum standard or if you have, um, uh, if you don't meet a certain ceiling in terms of how much money you get every year, then we will cover your costs. So certain people are covered, but that's up to the discretion of the province. So, um, it's, it seems it differs province to province, and you know, to an extent, what services are free and which are not is a real patchwork across the country. No, fair enough. And and what it kind of seems like is it the the most important things tend to be free uh, as a as a general rule. Um, but that being said, I think it's better described as universal healthcare than free healthcare because we do pay for it with our taxes, and there are, as you mentioned, things that we pay for out of pocket depending on the province we live in. That's right. Um, so what's covered uh, depends pretty much, you know, where you live and things are covered differentially um, across province to province. So shifting gears to another topic that you focus on and one our listeners may also be interested in learning about, you've already alluded to how people affect healthcare. So I'll ask the question directly. How is healthcare shaped by politics? Well, as a political scientist, I feel obliged to say that almost everything is shaped by politics. Um, but more precisely, in terms of healthcare, I'd say that the best way to represent this is that healthcare is cross-cut with political dynamics first and foremost, because healthcare uh, is a limited and at times a scarce resource. Uh, it's also a very complex system. So every time you move away from the status quo, somebody is not going to be happy because they preferred the status quo to whatever is put into its place. And that's why healthcare reforms are so tricky. In a nutshell, whatever you do, somebody's going to be pissed off. Now, beyond that, there are different kinds of political tensions. So, for example, at a macro level, at a level of government versus government, we have disputes between the federal and provincial governments, and in fact, also between provincial governments themselves over things like transfer funding or over jurisdiction for things like safe injection sites. Then you get to the politics of redistribution, which arises every time you try to cut healthcare budgets. So as Bob Evans, a health economist, used to say, every dollar spent on health care is a dollar of somebody's income. And of course, nobody wants a smaller income, even if it's for the common good, right? Um, you get good old-fashioned politics as well, where 
bad policy can be good politics. You know, so you have the people, most healthcare budgets are about between 35 and 47% of a provincial budget. So almost half of a provincial budget. That much? Wow. Oh, yes. And in Nova Scotia, it's about 46, 47%. So it's a huge bite out of a budget. Um, So the province, you know, keeps an eye on the budget and that limits what it wants to do uh, in terms of healthcare policy. But also the first question any government asks is, will this initiative get us elected? And if it does get us elected, who cares if it's evidence-based or not? And conversely, you know, what kind of a policy will cause a PR disaster? Because we're avoiding that at all costs, regardless of how good it would be for the overall healthcare system. You know, the, the closure of rural uh, hospitals was... A, a huge undertaking because it made no sense given modern healthcare, but it was fiercely contested by you know the the local, especially rural constituencies who would elect uh, the uh, MLAs for the particular riding. So, you know, old-fashioned politics can never be discounted when you're talking about healthcare. And that's good to know. Politics is something that you mentioned can't be avoided wherever you go, and it seems like it's no more or less included in healthcare than it is in anything else. We're never going to be able to avoid the politics of healthcare. The best thing to do is to be aware exactly of how they operate and the dynamics so that they become quite transparent. So Dr. Feel like you, you gave us a, a pretty solid outlay of what the political, uh, I guess, underpinnings of the healthcare system are and what kind of those driving forces are as well. What do you, what would you characterize though as the main issues within both the policy and political environments regarding healthcare? What are those salient topical issues of the day? Well, the big one is always going to be cost containment. Costs just keep going <laughs> up and no up surprise. and up. And again, you know, as mentioned, that in some provinces, it's almost half of public expenditure. Now, this, however, is for a number of reasons and not just bad reasons. So modern medicine can actually do more now. We've got more treatments, we have more technology, we have more drugs, some which work, some which don't work. But we can really, you know, make a difference for people with certain conditions who even a few generations ago would have no recourse. So somebody like Terry Fox, who had, I think, childhood leukemia, the uh, likelihood that somebody can actually be treated for that now is... Is much higher, so you know we spend more on healthcare, but we get better health. We get better healthcare for this, and you know it's not something we should be ashamed of. So the big the big issue is cost containment, but it's 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 not necessarily one sided question of oh we have to get costs down all the time. Uh, sometimes it's not a bad thing to invest money in in healthcare. So if the first issue is cost containment. I think the the second big issue is really distributional, the the question of who should get what. So those are the really big overarching political issues. Uh, There are innumerable smaller ones, really interesting ones, such as uh, primary health care. How should we organize primary health care? What mix of health care professionals should we use? Another big one is how should we finance healthcare? What's the proper mix of public and private funding? 
another issue that Ontarians are particularly aware of is how should healthcare be administered through a diffuse system, for example, of regional health authorities or district health authorities, or a centralized one where the pros and the cons. So that's sort of um, a menu, if you will, of some of the, the big issues. So you've, you've mentioned quite a lot of information and stories about why Canadian healthcare system is the way it is. But I'm going to ask you a straight, blunt, yes or no question. Taking into everything that we talked about today, in your opinion, Dr. Fieldback, does the current healthcare system in Canada work? And of course, I'm not going to answer that directly. Oh. Um, and, you know, well, it's really a nuanced question, and it's really a shorthand way of asking, of asking a different question question, which is, does healthcare work for this person at this place at this time with this condition? Um, so for example, acute care in Canada is generally quite good overall, depending upon the indicators used, but it varies considerably. Um, for example, it varies considerably across provinces. So if you need a hip replacement, just make sure you're a resident of Ontario rather than a resident of Nova Scotia. If you need cataract surgery, make sure that you live in Quebec rather than Manitoba, right? Um, and then, depending again on the province, um, you may have an issue finding primary a primary care clinic where you might want to get your ears syringed. So you go, oh, the healthcare system doesn't work. I can't get my ears. I can't hear a damn thing. But then in you know in a huff, you walk across the street. You get hit by a car. You shatter both legs. Guess what? You're probably going to get excellent care, right? So it depends what kind of care, what kind of service you want to access. Um, and then, of course, if you have a condition that requires hospitalization, like coronary bypass, you, you, you pay very little, if anything at all. You certainly pay parking fees for your family who want to visit you. Uh, but in terms of the you know, tens of thousands of dollars that you might pay elsewhere, that you're spared that. The problem is, if you have a great heart, but you have a condition that requires drugs, that you can get at your local pharmacy, then you'd better be able to afford the cost because uh, if your province doesn't cover that particular drug uh, for your demographic, say you're not a senior, you're not a low income person, you may have to pony up for your own treatment costs if your treatment is in the form of a pharmaceutical substance. So, Dr. Fieldbeck, it is probably unfair for me to ask you a straight yes or no question when it comes to whether or not the current healthcare system in Canada works. But taking in all the issues we talked about today, how do we fix or improve at least our current healthcare system? Oh, there are a lot of people out there who would definitely agree that the system needed that the system needs fixing. Um, the problem is nobody really disagrees not only what should be done, but also what's wrong with the system in the first place. So, of course, it all depends upon what you think is wrong with the system before you can think about how you're going mm -hmm. to fix it. For example, if you think, and a lot of people do, if you think that wait times are too long in Canada, well, then you could hire more healthcare workers, but of course, then your costs are going to go skyrocketing. 
Um, or you could permit a parallel private system so government costs aren't going to increase. But of course, you're going to privilege the wealthier people and you're going to introduce all sorts of inequities. Um, if you think that the problem with Canadian healthcare is that healthcare consumes too much of the provincial expenditures, then what could you do? Well, you could limit the kinds of services you have. Well, that means that uh, you again privilege the well-to-do because if services are de-insured, then they're going to be able to find uh, people who will provide these services at a cost, but they can access it while others can't. Um, or if you think that healthcare is costing a province too much, you could refuse to pay healthcare workers more. And then you can, you know, probably watch your healthcare workers as they march across the country to some province that's willing to pay them more. You could, as some provinces do occasionally, you could try to overhaul the entire system so that it is, quote unquote, more efficient in some ineffable way. But you have to keep in mind that whole scale reform is hugely disruptive. And again, there are no guarantees that the final product will work any better than it worked previously. So essentially, you have to think of the healthcare system um, like a, a huge water balloon or, or a Rubik's cube. You squeeze one side of a water balloon and, and the other side becomes really distorted, right? Or, or if you flip a square of the Rubik's cube so that one side finally is all red, and then you find that in doing so, you've got a white tile on your blue side, and you can start all over again, right? So in, in other words, each action taken to improve one aspect of the system can have negative unforeseen consequences for another aspect of the system. So, you know, there's no one magic bullet. Very, very true, Dr. Fieldbeck. And you know, I think we've we've really made you jump through some hoops here, asking you some very difficult questions. Um, but you've done an amazing job, you know, giving us some very informative and, and educational answers. Maybe diverting to something that I think is even more in your field of expertise, rather than asking you to give us a solution to all the world's problems. Um, you know, one thing I noticed is that when you started explaining the Canadian healthcare system, you first took a view of, you know, what are the underpinning principles that, you know, brought it to be and, and kind of carry it through day to day. But I think that also then begs the question, rather than asking just, you know, maybe how we can fix or improve our healthcare system, you know, what are maybe some all other or alternative models that we could be using? And the reason I ask is that, you know, for instance, you said, you know, if we were to hire more healthcare professionals to reduce wait times, it increased costs, which objectively is the case. One could also argue, though, that not having enough healthcare available or not taking the proper measures to provide preventative medicine has far greater costs, either in the long run or at a societal level. And so I think that, again, is part of the framework of, you know, how we view a healthcare system. And so bringing it back again, my question to you then is maybe help us understand through the, the, the great deal of research you've done, what are some alternative models that we could be thinking about for healthcare in Canada? So this is an extensive debate, and you see this in the media a lot. They say, well, you know, Switzerland has a great system. Why, why can't we be Switzerland? Or, or, you know, the French are really happy with their healthcare system. Well, why don't we just do what they're doing? Right. Well, again, you have to keep in mind that, you know, some countries do things really well and other things do other things really well, but no country does 
everything perfectly. So, you know, I think people who look to other systems tend to cherry pick what they like and not really appreciate that if they went for, they could achieve that, but then, you know, another aspect of the healthcare system would go balls up. Britain, by some indicators, has an excellent system because it actually gets the most by spending the least. So it's got competitively good health indicators. How so, though? But also how, how does that come to be that it gets the most? Oh, it's, 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 it's massively central controlled, centrally controlled. Okay. So they can say, okay, here's, here's what we're doing. And, it, you know, if you don't like it, then go, go to Canada because here's what we're doing. <laughs> but, but, but again, this, so they can really squeeze a lot of the healthcare system because it controls every aspect of the healthcare system. But at the same time, because it can control the healthcare system, then you get long waiting times, and that's another issue. So, you know, very good economically, but at the same time, we already have wait times. We don't want more. So do we really go down, want to go down that path? So, you know, every well-performing country has something that they do really well, but they only achieve that by having an issue with some other aspect of their health system. So if you want to look at another country, you really have to understand how that system works as an organic whole. Because if you want the best parts of that system, you may have to import all of it. Now, the other problem is that just because a system works well in one country doesn't simply mean you can rip it out of that context and apply it somewhere else because every country is unique. So if you have a system like, oh, I don't know, the Netherlands, where it's this tiny, tiny landmass, what are you going to do in terms of rural and remote care, right? That's a big issue for Canada and the U.S. as well. Uh, The Netherlands doesn't have to worry about that, so they don't have an answer, right? So mm, that's not going to be very helpful. Um, And, you know, political culture also plays a huge role in what is feasible. So while it's always useful to be aware of how other jurisdictions do things, you have to be really careful about assuming that these practices are in fact universally applicable. Now you mentioned that there's no perfect healthcare system and we've talked about alternative models, but for example, the World Health Organization does rank the healthcare systems worldwide by country. And surprisingly, Canada doesn't even actually make the top 25. So why do these organizations rank healthcare systems when you say it's so complex and that it can't be decided one way or another what's better or not? Oh, because it's clickbait. <laughs> People love lists, right? Mm-hmm. It's methodologically, it is a disaster. Be very, very cynical when you see overarching lists. Now, you can more effectively rank countries in terms of very specific indicators, and you can measure how well they do in terms of um, hip replacement, in terms of readmission rates, uh, in terms of very specific things. You know, when you start ranking them one to ten it's it's like ranking your children which is never a good idea because you have to choose specific things to measure and you may be disadvantaging you know there, there could be a country that does something very well and it just not 
taken into account. So um, in terms of it, I don't think the WHO does these massive rankings. I think the last time they did it was about 2000 and they got so much blowback that they sort of backed off that. But um, so things like choice were ranked high. Well, if you have a lot of choice, it can be very inefficient, as I mentioned, because people can choose to go to a heart surgeon if they've got a cold. But that's not a good healthcare system. But if you rank choice as something that's valuable, then a country that does that will go up the ranking, even though it's not a very efficient system. So basically, be very, very cynical when it comes to any ranking system. It's just, you know, again, this lazy click. And it all, and it all matters on what you value in that methodology. You might prefer choice. You might prefer uh, having cheaper costs. But I think it depends on each individual to make that decision on their own. You know, when you said be cynical, Prakash, and you can't see us, of course, because it's a podcast, but you did point at me. I take exception to that. I tend to think I have a sanguine view of the world. Okay. There is optimism there. I'm a realist. Okay. Um, But to your your point, Dr. Fieldback, I, I think it's great, especially in the question we asked you about alternative models, that you point out the fact that, you know, every country is different. The needs are different. And when you frame it that way, you know, People laud, like you said, the NHS, the national health system in, the, in Britain as being uh, a very solid one. But like you said, it's very centralized. And so there's not much choice uh, there, could, which also, I think, opens a lot of opens the country to a lot of risk around sweeping reforms that maybe not every municipality or jurisdiction agrees to. And that's kind of right where my mind went, was that Canada is a massive landmass. Like you said, it has urban health care to worry about. Each different jurisdiction and province is vastly different. I mean, it took us how many years to become an actual uh, an actual uh, confederation and to get every mm-hmm. province to sign on. It took you know nearly what we'll, we'll you say almost eighty years. Um, well, it was a massive feat, exactly. Absolutely. And so to think that you're right, you know, to plug and play a healthcare system from one country to another is probably not the best measure of efficacy or fairness. Um, and, and to end on that positive note, a question we have for you, Dr. Fieldbeck, is, you know, appreciating the system that we have, what are some steps that Canadians in general, including ourselves, can do to learn more about the system or to ensure that they're getting the best kind of healthcare possible? What can they do to, to make themselves aware? Right. It's, it's not easy. Um, but there are organizations that have been set up which try really hard to give Canadians a really good sense of what's going on about them. And the first website would be CAIHI, the Canadian Institutes for, for Health Information. And they have a lot of technical reports, but they also have a lot of fairly clear, succinct, straightforward charts and graphs and stats that give a very simple, clear, straightforward account of the contours of our healthcare system. And it also has a really neat interactive tool that allows you to explore your own provincial healthcare system in a little bit more detail. So it's fun to play with. Um, And the other thing that's, that's in development is Um, the North American Observatory on Health Systems and Policies, uh, which looks at uh, North American health systems policies, but it has a lot of information on the Canadian healthcare system. They have their own website, and they have recently embarked on a project to develop books that will be open access online, 
um, looking at the healthcare system of each province. And I would invite people to go on to this website and they can check out the first volume that has been published. And that's on the Nova Scotia healthcare system. And we'll make sure to include a link in the description for the podcast. So Dr. Fieldbite, thank you so much for providing all that information. To Jay's point earlier, it's not about being cynical, it's more about being critical. And the information you provided today, I think, allows us to think about where we've come, how far we've gone, and where we can go with this. And so thank you so much for providing that context for us. Yeah, and you leave us with a strong sense of, one, I think, appreciation for the system we do have. It's it's always very easy to point out the things that are wrong, um, much as we don't always look towards uh, preventative care. You know, it's not the easiest thing to point out and say, you know, look at everything we've accomplished. I think it's very much the same when you look at a healthcare system. It's easy to look at, you know, what people throw around as political talking points or sensationalize in the media and say, oh, this is everything that's wrong. Yet, we seldom take pause to actually appreciate and reflect on what what is right and, and what we do, we're, what we are privileged to have. And so to that end, um, you know, Dr. Fieldback for our listeners, of course, is prolific in this field, is prolific in terms of the research behind healthcare policy and the politics behind it. And for those of you who are interested in reading further and, and learning a bit more about this topic, uh, Dr. Fieldback has uh, several publications that you should really go out and, and check out. Um, she's written several books. One is Healthcare in Canada, done by the University of Toronto Press. Healthcare Federalism in Canada is another, and that was done by the McGill-Queens uh, University Press in 2013. She also has a study on comparative healthcare federalism, done by the Ashgate Press. And finally, something that hits close to home for her, the Nova Scotia a Health System Profile, again, done by the University of Toronto Press. Uh, we'll, of course, include titles and links to this in the description of the podcast, but just wanted to let people uh, be aware of the body of work that Dr. Fieldbeck has put together. This really, it seems, has been her academic and, and personal passion. Is that a fair characterization, Dr. Fieldbeck? Oh, I love gassing on about health. <laughs> we could tell. Uh, but more than we could tell, we're more appreciative than anything else. Uh, and we really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through this complex, difficult, but I think meaningful topic. It's one of those rare topics I think is meaningful to everyone, no matter where you come from. I actually studied health in university, and I learned a myriad of things here. So thank you so much, Dr. You're doing it at a bank, man. Hey, this is another episode, right? right, Another (laughs) another podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Philbeck. Thanks, guys. It's been great. So, I don't know if you noticed, but Dr. Fieldbeck's memory was pretty wicked. She was dead on with Tommy Douglas being Premier of Saskatchewan from 1944 to 1961. And to provide a lot of information yet be so accurate is actually quite a skill. It might help listeners though to hear this episode again because Dr. Fieldbeck provided us with a lot of quality content. I definitely feel more confident in my knowledge of the Canadian healthcare system, how it's provincially governed, what it covers, and how it came to be. And I certainly won't forget what we learned today. And our listeners shouldn't forget to subscribe to our website and our social media pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for updates. Feel free to share your comments with us. And if there are any future topics that you'd like to explore, let us know. Nice out with there, bud. Finally, if you like what we discussed today, feel free to share it with family and friends. We truly appreciate the support. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Real Talk Roundtable. Mm-hmm.